Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am just over the top excited to have Julie Bryan on the show. We just had a beautiful (laughs) pre-conversation. And I'm so excited about this interview. Julie is a psychic and medical intuitive. She can sense what mental conditions and illnesses a person has, and she facilitates energetic healings. She can communicate with spirits, both alive and those who have passed to the other side. Julie can scan animals, access people's past lives, and remove ghosts from homes and other buildings. And she can tell how close to death someone is. Her beautiful book, which I suggest you just run out and get this book or download it, is called Angelic Attendance. What really happens as we transition from this life into the next? The book describes a series of events that involve angels, multitudes of deceased family and friends, the spirits of deceased pets, and countless serendipitous and miraculous moments. Julie's children's books, which are, oh my gosh, the illustrations and the stories are once again, just so inspiring. They're called Angel Messages for Kids and the second one, Angel Messages for Dogs. They are picture books that have angels answering kids' tough questions. Each week, Julie scans callers on her Ask Julie Ryan podcast, which is heard by millions in over 100 countries throughout the world. Julie did not begin as a medical intuitive. Julie is a very successful businesswoman, inventor, author, podcaster, and serial entrepreneur. Her surgical device inventions are sold globally, and she has founded nine companies in five different industries. Welcome to the program, Julie. What a great bio. I'm so delighted to finally connect with you. We've been trying, I think, for about a year. Yes, yes, we have. Yeah, it's so it's so great to finally to finally meet you. So let's just jump right in and talk a little bit. I I do want to talk about your books, but first I want to, you know, I've never had a medical intuitive on the show before. So you can, if you can just tell my listeners a little bit about what that means and how, how you began this journey from entrepreneur, businesswoman to doing that work that you're doing now. Sure. Be delighted to medical intuitive. My definition, what I do <laughs> is I, I, I laugh all the time, Marla. I tell people I'm a businesswoman who learned how to do woo-woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. So <laughs> medical intuition is just one of the things 
that I do. I can, I always laugh. I say, we can talk to your dead grandma. I can scan your cat. I can scan you. I can facilitate energetic healings. I could tell how close to death somebody is. We can do past lives. We could talk to your spirit guides, whatever. So it's a ball. It is so much fun to do all of this work. And I get to meet amazing people from around the world mm -hmm. with the work that I do. So medical intuition, in my definition of it, is using quantum physics, using energy to help facilitate healing. And I raise my vibrational level to the level of spirit because we're all spirits attached to a body having a human experience. Most of us have heard that. But when I do that, I turn my abilities on and off at will. I don't walk around with my radar on. Okay. It takes me a nanosecond to turn it on. And then I'll close my eyes, Marla, and I'll watch a laser beam come from my body. I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and it will go to wherever the person is. I mean, you could be on Mars. It doesn't matter. My energy, my laser beam's going to find you and hook into you. And then it's going to be as if I'm looking at an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. I can see in my mind's eye, broken bones, torn ligaments, viral infections, bacterial infections, cancer, whatever. And then once something's identified, immediately thereafter, there is some form of energetic healing that takes place immediately. And it comes in the form of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch procedures all the time that emulate what I saw in the operating room for all those years when I was in there developing products, testing prototypes, training surgeons, you know that drill, right. you used to work in a hospital. Yes. Sometimes I see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. But regardless of what I'm seeing, I'm very descriptive with either my caller, if they're calling in on my show, or if it's a private client, because if we can envision the person with whom I'm working can envision what I'm seeing in my mind's eye. It's going to help integrate the healing into their body because the body's going to believe what the brain shows it, even if the brain doesn't believe it to be true. Right. And so my analogies oftentimes are really hilarious. I may tell you your left ear looks like whipped cream or something crazy, but it's just so that we can have a frame of reference to something that's happening energetically. And, and so that's what I do. I, if I have somebody for an hour private session, we'll do several swipes. You know, I'll say, give me a checklist of what you got going on. And then we'll reverse engineer everything. Furthermore, I always go in blind first because I want to see where the energy goes immediately. That's always going to be the most pressing issue. And sometimes it's asymptomatic, but we're heading off a problem at the pass. Right. So it's fascinating. I watch DNA get resequenced if there's a mutation. I watch stem cell energy regenerate whole organs that can show up on subsequent scans. I watch stem cell energy heal bones. I watch, I used to early on, I would see organ transplants, like what happens actually in surgery. Now all the organs and body parts are, are uh, generated with stem cell energy, which is fun, which is a fun analogy You'll maybe recognize this. I always say that stem cell energy is a light amber colored gel with sparkles in it because you got to have sparkles. Uh, it's absolutely. Woo -woo, you know? But it, it has a watery consistency and it reminds me of dippity do hair gel. Do you remember that yeah, back absolutely. in the day? <laughs> I can smell it as we speak. Oh, I know. In the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, that was a big deal. Yeah. And so it's a riot when I 
talk to a woman who knows what that is and they'll say, <laughs> oh my God, I haven't thought of that in 50 years. Wow. And then the young the young people that I talk to, the women, especially, I have several of them that say, I looked it up because you talk about dippity-doo all the time. But that's an example of a crazy analogy. But I say that to somebody like you, and you know exactly what I'm talking right, about. Exactly. So it helps you envision it, which in turn helps integrate the healing into the body. So when did this, like, when did this start happening? I, I remember you talking um, in an interview I listened to of the story about Pope Cl- Clement, mm-hmm. the sixth, and that's mm-hmm. more psychic in the afterlife. And, but it all, it all goes together. Correct. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so when did this start coming to you? Did you just go into like a meditative state one day and start, how did it happen? No, I am not one of those psychics who's had dead people chasing her since childhood. Yes. If I did, I didn't know it, let alone what I would have done with that information. I actually learned how to do all of this. And I teach people all over the world now how to do what I do in four Saturdays in a row for a couple of hours each Saturday. It's super simple, super simple. I think we we in the woo-woo community like to like to make it seem really complex. And it's not, we all have the ability. We all have intuitive ability. It's just a matter of developing and enhancing it. We've all had situations where we think of somebody and then shortly thereafter, we get a call or a text or an email, or we run into them from them. And, uh, and we say, Oh, what a coincidence. I just was thinking of you. Well, no coincidence. That's your intuition or your psychic ability at play. So how I got into this was about 30 years ago, I was given a book by a friend called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mace. And she calls herself a medical intuitive. And I thought, what the heck is that? I had never heard that term before. And I was in the medical business for 30 some years on the hospital supply side of the equation. And so I was interested And I read her book and I wanted to know more. So I went to a bookstore because we didn't have the internet yet. At that point, I went to a Barnes and Noble and I thought, I'm just going to go in there and see if I can find something else on the topic. So I was led, obviously, to go to that bookstore. And Barbara Brennan's Hands of Light is what I found. And she's a NASA, a former NASA physicist who has taken quantum physics very complex theories and distilled them down to be understandable to the lay person like me. You know, I'm not a scientist. I have a communications degree. What do I know about science? So I read her book and she was using energy fields to help facilitate healing. And I thought, all right, you know, I'm inventing products used in surgery that help facilitate healing. This may be another way to do it as well never with any intention of doing anything business-wise with it. I was just genuinely interested. So I called her school and I asked if anybody in my area was teaching this stuff. And sure enough, there was. And I studied with this woman for six years and paid the equivalent of what I would have paid to get an MD or a PhD. And so now fast forward, I sold my surgical device company and a couple of other companies in the last several years. And I thought, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see, you know, what happens and release this book. And here we are, I do it full time now. 
And it's a ball. So you, much fun. Do you have a story for us about, I know you have a million of them, but just about when you've done the scan and something that you found and what, you know, what happened? Sure. Uh, I'll give you a dramatic one that just happened okay. a couple of weeks ago. I had worked with a client six months ago and she had been in a car accident many years ago and they removed her spleen. And so we were working on something else. She had some other symptoms going on and she had mentioned that, that her spleen had been removed. And I could see that when I had her on my radar, like, again, I'm like a human MRI. I can see this, like my head's a big satellite dish you know, big screen TV kind of thing. And so I said, well, what the heck, let's just regenerate your spleen. And so we did with stem cell energy. And then she sent me an email just recently, a couple of weeks ago. And she said, remember when you regenerated my spleen? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, it showed up on a, on an MRI. That wow. was so it's not me doing it. Marla. Yes. It's spirit working through me and with me. And I think it's important to remember that nobody heals anybody else. Right. And you know, this from being in the medical industry, mm -hmm. there's no surgeon, no healer, no medical practitioner, nobody heals anybody else. An analogy I like to use for how we heal ourselves is think of when somebody has surgery at the end of the procedure, the surgeon's going to close the incision with staples and or sutures. The surgeon doesn't make the person's skin grow back. The person makes their own skin grow back. And that's how this works. We facilitate healing, but it's always the person with whom we're working that heals themselves. And that's all predicated on what is their spirit want to explore and experience. Yeah. Wow. I never thought of that before, but it makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. I want to sign up for your Saturdays. I'm, I'm ready to go. That'd be so, great. Oh my God. We'd love to have you. Amazing. So, well, so let's share the story about Pope Clement, just uh, before we start talking about, about your book, because it all kind of all goes together. It does. I was with my mentor, Susan, and she was doing a healing on me. And when she zaps on me, Marla, I'm sitting face, I'm sitting, I'm laying face up on a massage table and she's doing an energetic healing on me, but all of my deceased loved ones are in the room as well. And they line both sides and they're participating in the healing. So one day, this is about 10 years ago. One day, this spirit showed up dressed as a Pope. And I thought, okay, who are you? And he said, I'm Clement. And I said, I never heard of a Pope Clement. Now I'm a 12 year Catholic school girl and I never heard of a Pope Clement. Yeah. And he slapped and he said, well, I'm number six. And I said, all right, how may I help you? Kind of like, why are you here? And my Susan could see him as well and hear him. And he said, you need to teach the world what happens when somebody dies. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm a businesswoman. People are going to think I'm nuts. Right. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, no, everything you've done in business is to prepare you for this because people are so afraid of death and it's been so bastardized by religions and cultures and societies and over the millennia. And he said, you're, you're supposed to teach people what happens and how it's a glorious situation obviously heart-wrenching, but there are glorious components on the yes. spirit side. So I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so I got in my car to go home 
And I, and I just did an internet search on my phone and learned that he was in office during the black plague when two thirds of Europe died. And he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, okay, Ryan, you can't make that up. So a few years go by, I had lots of stories. I'd worked with many families, was continuing to work with many families, not only if they have a loved one who's dying, but on medical stuff and other stuff, other woo-woo stuff, I called it. (laughs) And so then one day I was sitting in church in between my son and my husband And the priest from the altar was giving his sermon. And he said, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody really could tell us if the angels and our loved ones greet us and lead us into paradise when we die. And I was getting elbowed, you know, from both sides, from my husband and my son. And so I finally just said, okay, God, really from the pulpit in church, seriously. All right. All right. All right. And so I, I, really got the courage, which I say is golden ovary courage. You know, guys have brass balls and girls have golden ovaries. And I thought, I thought people are just going to think I'm nuts, but all right. All right. All right. So I released the book and now I get so many heartwarming notes and texts and messages from families who have been comforted by the whole concept. And my church gives a copy to everybody, every family that comes in to plan a funeral. The book is being used in churches and synagogues around the country in Bible study and in, uh, in their book club readings. And I didn't see that coming at all, but in the meantime, there has been university based research done that corroborates everything I see exactly that transpires of how we are surrounded by deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. And so I laugh, I say, I love it when science catches up with woo woo. I think the woo woo has been around a lot longer than the science has. Mm -hmm. I was just reading a quote. I, I can't, I not going to do it justice, but I'm Nikolai Tesla. And it said, when we start really studying the paranormal normal or the the invisible that we cannot see what we will learn is going to be you know just we're going to jump further ahead than we've ever done in terms of studying the physical something like that and it's it's so so true and it's so beautiful that people are starting to open up to this and to have these beautiful books and and thank you thank you from the world (laughs) for doing this because it's so, it's so important. So let's talk about your book um, and about angels. But first, first of all, I know that you do talk about children being able to see spirits. So can you just, can you just briefly talk about that? Sure. That's why I wrote my children's books. And mm-hmm. actually I ha- my third one's coming out today. Oh, it is. What's the name taping. of it? It's called angel messages for cats I because I got so much grief, Marla from the cat lovers, because you know, what was I thinking releasing the dog book first? Well, I've never had a cat. So I had to do recon. I had to go do research on what a cats do because I've never had a pet cat. Right. But I've had so many moms over the years say, can you please write a book that I can use to explain to my child? How does my child know 
that uh, he knows all these, this information about my deceased grandfather who's been gone before this child was even born. And he knows information that I don't even know. And I have to ask my mom and he's right. How does my child know about past lives and no details that we can corroborate with historical data online? This kid can't even read yet, let alone would he know about some civil war battle, you know, in Virginia someplace in the Virginia countryside. And then also, how do I explain? I've had moms say, how do I explain to my child what happens when somebody dies or when a pet dies? And oftentimes they'll be at a funeral home and uh, what my family calls a wake or a visitation. And the child, they'll say, well, honey, grandma's in heaven. And the child will say, no, she's not. She's asleep in that box up there, you know, in the front of the room. So that's what's happened. We all come in with the ability. And then I find that children are very, very um, psychic and intuitive. And then as they age, when they get to be about seven or so, they've had enough people say, Oh, honey, that's just your imagination. That's not really true. And so they learn to shut it down because they don't want to be embarrassed or they've been told it's not real. Those, all those little kids with imaginary friends, just because mommy and daddy can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. They are there. And it's, it's fascinating to talk to little people. I do have a fun story about a past life with a little guy. One of my girlfriend's grandson was in his mother's arms in a lake, they were playing in the lake. And he said, his name's Walter. Is that a riot? His name's Walter. Great. You know, all these old fashioned names that are all coming back. And he was about four at the time. And he said, mommy, you're my favorite mommy. And she said, well, honey, I'm your only mommy. He said, no, no, you're my favorite of all my mommies. And she said, well, again, I'm your only mommy. He said, mom, Babies are born to moms and dads, and then they grow up and then they die. And then they're born to new moms and dads, and then they grow up and they die. And then they're born to another new moms and dads. Four years old. And you're my favorite of all my mommies I've ever had. And so she's on the phone with her mom and her mom's on the phone with me going, what the heck, you know, (laughs) explain this. And I just think that story is so sweet. Uh, it is. I, I actually interviewed Carol Bowman. She was my first interviewee. And she worked um, some with Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, or at least Jim Tucker. And at the University of Virginia, she wasn't actually affiliated, I don't think, with it. But she has so many stories. So I encourage my listeners to go back and listen to that. And it all started with her son, exactly what you said. He was in, he had these phobias and this really bad eczema. And he was ended up, it was past life in a civil war. And it's just, it's just fascinating. So, and that's something I'm so passionate about to bring opportunities to parents and caregivers to to sit down with their children and help them through ritual and ceremony and, and stories and nature and music 
to validate and remember. So that's a project I'm working on right now, but it's so, so important. So past life stuff is so much fun, Marla. Oh my gosh. We, we, I do what I call our, what I call a past life scan. There's no regression involved. So I am connected to the person will come up with a question like, were you a teacher in a past life? Was I a teacher in a past life? And then I envision myself in this endless hallway and it's very narrow, very tall ceilings and covering the walls in columns that are perfectly aligned, both vertically and horizontally. Does that mean I was potty trained too early because I like order? I don't know. You would know more than I. order. Me too. (laughs) And, and each square is a, like a 12 inch by 12 inch mirror and each mirror represents a different lifetime. So we'll ask, okay, was Marla a teacher in a past life? And the mirrors that correspond with that question will come out from the wall as if they're on a hydraulic arm. And then I'll say, show me the one that correlates the most. That one will come out the furthest. And then I'll envision walking into the mirror. And it's like, I'm watching a scene in a movie and I'll be given where it was, when it was, what the person's name is most of the time, what happened in that lifetime, how does it correlate with the question? It's really fascinating. And then oftentimes we can corroborate the information that we get with historical documents online. Wow. So it's a blast. And Past so much stuff. And so, so much, much healing takes place from that too. Right. And right. so important. And I know you've studied, we're getting off the subject a little bit, but just the near-death experiences and those also recalled by children where they tell, you know, tell us what they, that they met Jesus or whether, whatever happened in, in, and doing artwork. And uh, it's just all, it's so fascinating. And it's so true that science is finally catching up Mm -hmm. and that as Dr. Mary Neal says, as you can't have one, you know, one without the other, one teaches you how and spiritual spirituality teaches you why. And I just love that. I just love that quote. So, so let's talk about angelic attendance. So first of all, I'd love you to share your story about your mom when she was in hospice. I just love that story. And I think that you can kind of weave, if you'd like to, the 12 steps of transitioning into that story, mm-hmm. because that's the next question. So however, however you would like to do that. Sure. Be delighted to. My mother was an educator, speaking of teachers. She was a principal, wasn't she? She was a principal. Maybe that's why you like order so much. She started out, uh, I don't know. I cleaned out her closet more than once. I don't, I wouldn't say that she was super organized with that, but anyway, she started out as a first grade teacher, elementary school teacher. And then she was a principal and she was my, I'm one of four. She was our principal at our Catholic grade school. And when she was dying in 2002, we got a call that she had been moved to hospice. I didn't know she was that sick, but she needed her hip done. They gave her some kind of medicine that threw her into heart failure and it was very sudden. And so they moved her to hospice. Well, this was in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Birmingham, as I mentioned before, and it's about an eight to nine hour drive without stops. 
So we got in the car, my husband and my son and I, and we drove all night, we got there. And when I walked in the room, I could see that there was a bubble above her head. And it looked like a cartoon caption, Marla, like what the words or the thoughts of the cartoon character, those are in, encased in yes. this cartoon bubble, cartoon caption bubble, if you will. And I had heard that the spirit exits through the top of the body. I just had never seen it before. And the other thing that I noticed while we were there and she, she said hello, but she was really not communicating much. And the, the thing that I noticed as the day progressed was my deceased grandmother, her mother, who had just died six months previously was there. And she was at my mother's feet and my mother's father who had died when she was 12 was there as well. I had never met him, but I certainly knew who he was from his pictures that I'd seen throughout the ages. And as the day progressed, there was a circle of angels that formed around her. And with my grandparents anchoring the angels at her feet. And as the day went on, the circle of angels opened up into a horseshoe and then eventually a straight line across the bottom of her bed. And the things that I saw during that time with her were so remarkable that it was a parting gift that she gave me. And it was part of what Clement was referring to when he showed up all those years later saying, well, you know what happens because you've seen this many, many times. And that's developed into the 12 phases of transition. So I can scan somebody and all my graduates of my classes can scan somebody anywhere in the world. And we can ask what phase of transition is Mr. Smith in, and we'll get, he's in phase seven. And it's a different configuration of how angels, deceased loved ones, the spirits of deceased pets are there to, as part of the dying process couple of interesting nuances. Number one, everybody goes through the 12 phases of transition, whether they die instantly, like in the case of a homicide or suicide, or whether they die over days, weeks, months, years, even Interesting. everybody goes through it because time doesn't exist in the spirit world. Time is a human creation. That's number one. Number two, spirits show up in a manner that I'm going to recognize who they are. So angels to me look like big six, seven feet tall, big wings, white gown, long white curl, you know, soft curls, Mm -hmm. belted, the gown is belted at the waist with a rope, their bare feet are showing. Is that what angels really look like? Who knows? That's what angels look like to a Catholic school girl. Cause right. that's what I was taught. They were, they look like, they look like the statues and the paintings and the pictures that I'd been taught that that's how angels look. Certainly somebody that grew up in, in an indigenous culture in the Amazon may see angel energy as like a ball of purple energy or something, mm-hmm. but that's how I see them. And when the spirits of deceased loved ones show up, they show up in a way that I can describe them to the family with whom I'm working. Or in my case, if it's somebody that I love who's dying, I'll recognize the people because they're going to show up in a form that I would recognize them. So when my mother was dying, all these deceased relatives and friends, spirits were in the room, some of whom I hadn't thought of in 25 years because they've been dead that long. And then the 
pets that we had growing up, the dogs and the, the guinea pig, Ralph the guinea pig was there. And, and these other animals that my mother had had as a child. And I didn't, I didn't know what they were, but my uncle, her only sibling came in for her funeral. And I was saying, I'm seeing this dog that was kind of black and white, long hair, kind of looked like a collie mix. He goes, oh yeah, that was Randy or that was Fluffy or whomever. The other thing that's interesting is with the spirits, as they show up, I call them the welcome to heaven committee. And they show up in period costume. For instance, somebody maybe from the 60s might be in a mini skirt and go-go boots, whereas somebody from the Renaissance will show up looking like Shakespeare's dressed, you know, with the, with the cape kind of thing and, and all of that. And so that's really fun. And there are so many spirits that are there to welcome the person to heaven that as they really get very close to death and about phase 11, Oftentimes the spirits are so far out, Marla, that they look like dots on the horizon. There's so many of them. And the whole concept of nobody ever dies alone is what I see. And I believe that. Wow. And I know you talk about the first person. It's not the angels that show up first. It's the maternal other mother, grandmother. Can you just mention that? Yeah, we all think that the angels are running the show or God saying, okay, I'm ready for you, you know, whatever you want to come. It's our spirit that determines when we go, where we go, how we go, what the circumstances are, who's with us or not when we go. I work with so many people who feel guilt because they all sat with grandma for two weeks and then Aunt Susie was on duty and she left the room for two minutes to go get a cup of coffee and grandma slipped away while she was out of the room. And then she's just grief stricken because she wasn't there. Grandma didn't want her there. Right. Grandma was in control. You know, believe me, ask any funeral director. They have millions of stories about situations like that. And hospice but workers. Hospice workers <laughs> yes. too. Exactly. So I, it's interesting because it's always the maternal spirit that's closest to the person who's dying. So in my case, my mother's deceased. If I was dying, it would be my mother there first, who would bring in the angels, bring in the spirits, bring in the pet spirits, all of that. They run the show from the spirit world. If the mothers, if my mother was still alive, it would be my maternal grandmother. If she was still alive, it would be her mother, always on the maternal line. The other thing that fascinates me is if a person who's dying is adopted, It's the mother who raised them that runs the show. The birth mother is there, her spirit, if she's deceased, but it's always the mother who, who raised them and took care of them as a child. So are these angels that show up, are they guardian angels or angels that have been with the person who's passing their entire lives or, or can you tell? Yes. Great question. The person's guardian angel is always there and is, is part of the welcome to heaven, you know, committee right Right next to the, the mom is the guardian angel that's been with that person through all of their lifetimes. We get a guardian angel and the guardian angel stays with us in all of our lifetimes. And when we're in heaven in between lifetimes, Mm. 
So that's interesting. I say the mom's the CEO and the guardian angels, the COO, the <laughs> chief operating officer. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> so they're there. Right. Yeah. Businesswoman, you know, yeah. and, and then the other angels are called in by the mom and they are support angels. So this circle of angels that opens up into a horseshoe and eventually a straight line across the foot of the bed of the person, or again, it can happen in a nanosecond. They're assisted by angels that show up about halfway through Marla and they come and they are on either side of the spirit bubble that's above the person's head. That's still attached to the top of their head. Again, like a cartoon caption. Right. And midway through the 12 phases, their wings start to move the angels on either side of the spirit bubble. And it reminds me of a, of a slow rhythmic movement of a giant owl. You know how owls are silent. Yes. Yes. And if you've ever watched a documentary of an owl, it's, you can almost feel the drag of their wings right. and they really glide. And it reminded me of that. And then as they do that for a while, that movement causes a vortex to form above the dying person's head. And it looks like a funnel cloud, like a tornado. And I, when I was seeing that with my, my mother, I thought, oh my goodness, what is this? I knew it had something to do with it, but I, I'd never seen it. I didn't know what it was. Well, what happens is it creates an upward pull. The sensation reminded me of driving through a car wash while you stay in the car right. at the end. And they've got the dryer on and it's sucking all the water off your car. Right. And, and so that's, that facilitates the spirit from detaching from the body because the spirit then goes through that vortex. And then those angels on either side of the spirit escort it to heaven. It's always up and to the right as I perceive it. Amazing. So interesting fact about, about that vortex, when I was writing my book, I just was led to do an internet search on owl wings, vortex, uh, what was the other one? Upward pull or something like that. Right. Well, come to find out there's this phenomenon called the wingtip vortex. The wingtip vortex is an aeronautical engineering concept. You Google wingtip vortex, you will get hundreds of thousands of aeronautical engineering drawings, articles, whatever. And everything that flies, whether it's a bug or a bird or a plane or a jet or a kite, there's a phenomenon that happens that there are these vortices that form underneath the wings. And that's what causes the upward lift. And I thought, oh my word, these movements of these angels are facilitating this vortex forming that causes upward lift and helps the spirit separate from the body. Again, it's fun when science catches up with woo woo. You might see me, um, Julia, I'm looking something up because I just had to share this. I um, work with this amazing scientist who's actually, he doesn't call himself a medium, but he certainly is. And I can't use his name, but once um, when he was um, bringing people in, he brought in 
a, a person he had worked with that was a really well known in the field of genetics and DNA and et cetera. And I just want to I, I just want to share with the listeners what this person said in the afterlife. Shall I share my experience of my transition for your records? He's British. One moment I was lying in my physical body and suddenly I seemed to gather force from the bottom of my feet. It rushed up my body and exploded out the top of my head where it proceeded to expand in all directions. This I immediately realized is my expansive self beyond the boundaries of my body and brain. My awareness instantly grew to fill an extremely large space and I exulted in my newfound freedom. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's so, wow, 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 wow. That's just- And that's what people that have had near-death experiences yes, talk yes. about, you know, that they go through a tunnel and that's the vortex. The tunnel is exactly what that quote was. I would love to have a copy yes, of it. If yes, yes. Be so kind as to, to email it Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. But they, the spirit exits out through the top of the head and then holds on to the top of the head during the dying process. The thing that's so interesting to me too about the phases of transition, Marla, is it gives the family so much comfort, number one, in knowing they're surrounded by deceased loved ones and angels. And especially when I can start describing their deceased loved ones, right. spirits that are there. And I don't know these people. I mean, there's no way especially ones that most of them I've never met. And oftentimes they're in other countries when I'm helping them. The other thing is it helps families be there at the end if they want to be, because we can scan somebody and say, okay, they're in phase three. Well, if they're in a few hours in phase eight or nine, that's moving very quickly and you want to get the family in. It's important to note too, that once somebody's in one of the phases, it doesn't mean that they're going to exit. You can go in and out of the phases. You can be in phase seven and go back oh, to phase four. And there have been several occasions, not very many, but a few. One is one of my brother's dear friends was in phase 11. And he, 15 years later, is up walking around. He was having surgery. He had a stroke. They were removing part of his skull because his brain was swelling I didn't think he'd make it off the operating room table. And uh, sure enough, you know, he made a full recovery. And interestingly enough too, when he was in surgery, he, his father's a developer and he was legal counsel for his father's firm. And they were working on some big development that was supposed to close in a couple of days. And there was some confidential information that Tim, the patient relayed to me so I could relate to my brother and my brother could give it to his dad. And my brother did, he was in the operating room waiting, family waiting area. And he said, his dad was so taken aback. He had to sit down. He said, there is no way you would know this. Cause it was something very specific that right. had to do with this deal. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So thank you for all of that for all of this. Um, so Julie, I know you've actually had, I think two shared death experiences, one with your sister and one with your friend. And can you tell us um, just about those experiences where you got to go even a bit far farther, right? Into yes. the journey. Right. 
I, my younger sister, Joan died in 2010, very suddenly of a brain aneurysm. And again, like when my, with my mother, uh, got a call from my brother, my older brother, Jay, and he said, Joan's collapsed. She's been intubated. She's unconscious. We don't know what's going on. She was in Columbus as well. So I got on a plane and was able to get there within a two or three hours. And she was in phase 11 of 12 already. And so she stayed on a ventilator for a few days. And then the family decided to remove her from the, the ventilator. And that's a whole nother story yeah. that I'd love to share too. But she didn't want to go. The family was all there. She hadn't had any heartbeat or breathing for a couple of minutes. And and she had her spirit hadn't left yet. And she said, I need you to come with me. And so I took my spirit out of my body and I went with the angels and flew with the angels to her, dropped her off in heaven, and then came back and attached my spirit to my body. And I've done that a couple of times. The interesting thing about that is I do, a, and I teach this too, to all of my students, which is a couple hundred so far, Marla, from about 12 or 13 countries around wow. the world. And I do this exercise called the walk to heaven, which is a dress rehearsal of what's going to happen. So the dying person isn't afraid because a lot, most people are very afraid. Yes. And that's what Pope Clement wants me to talk exactly. about because <laughs> there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, it's glorious. It's way easier to die than it is to be born. You don't have to go through any birth canal or any of that kind of thing. Right. And so what I perceive when I do the walk to heaven is I take my spirit, detach it from my body, will detach the person's spirit with whom I'm working and we'll walk through the desert and it's, we'll walk into the setting sun. And there's a chapter about this in my book. Yeah. And then we walk into the setting sun and there's a wormhole inside the sun, like what we hear about in space astronomers talk about wormholes mm -hmm. that we can get from galaxy to galaxy. It's kind of like a shortcut is how I look at it. Right. And we get in the wormhole and we were vertical walking through the desert into the setting sun. And then we go horizontal and we're pulled by a gravitational force that pulls us forward. Kind of like Captain America, you know, with the jet pack, <laughs> yes. he's flying. And then when he wants to land, he lands, you know, he goes upright to touch down with his feet. So I feel like, and, and so then we're at the pearly gates and they, to me, look like this big, brilliant, yellowish, whitish plasma wall. I've never seen St. Peter outside with a clipboard waiting to check off names. Right. Okay. You can come in, you can't come in kind of a thing. And, and we walk through this plasma wall that as soon as we walk through it, it immediately closes up and you can't tell anybody's, you can't tell there was ever a hole. Wow. And when we get on the other side of the pearly gates into heaven, the person's family and friends and loved ones are all there to greet them. So not only is the welcome to heaven committee in the room as the person is dying or with the person as they're actively dying, but also they're there to greet them once they separate from their body and they're there. And 
I've seen all kinds of amazing welcome to heaven committee so situations where perhaps somebody's holding an infant and we find out it's a miscarried baby or an aborted baby or a, a sibling who died as a baby, or if it's a toddler who passed, I mean, they're, they're always going to show up in a way that we can identify right, them. Right. And then we'll turn around on the walk to heaven, the dress rehearsal, and they never want to leave. You know, the people never want to leave. Yes. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just dress rehearsal. You know, the final performance here is whenever you decide you're ready. And then we'll walk back through the wormhole. We'll fly back through the wormhole. We'll walk back through the desert, uh, back out through the setting sun. And then I'll reattach their spirit and reattach my own back into my body. And it's such a, a heartwarming, comforting scenario that people who are very afraid to die, it takes away their fear. Right. Occasionally I'll have people that'll want to do it more than once. There was a man in Minneapolis who was afraid to die. And so we did the walk to heaven with him and then came back and he wanted to do it again immediately. I never had that happen before. He was like, okay, did I dream that? I really want to see this again. Yeah. So we did it again right away. And then he passed the next day. Wow. And uh, I mean, this is what, sh- oh my goodness. I- I'm so happy that you are sending these books, which explains all of this. Um, and for my listeners, even on your website, there's pictures of the 12 of the 12 stages, correct? Right. But that someone can do a walk to heaven. Is that what you called it? Yes. Mm-hmm. This should be for every single person that's getting ready to pass or even before they are just to know and to help and to comfort and to, and, and it changes. I mean, how do you think, well, I'll ask you, so learning all of this that you've always known, but now that you're involved in this, how have you changed? How, how do you walk differently in this life that you know so well about eternal life. And we haven't really talked about life reviews, but we've talked about that a lot on, on this show. Um, so how has Julie Ryan changed? No fear of anything. Right. I, I don't get caught in the weeds as much. If I'm feeling stressed, I use this exercise that I teach. It's called the two minute rule. And I'll say, is this going to kill me in the next two minutes? Even though when you're really stressed, you feel like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? And you know, if the answer is yes, I'll get out of the road before the bus runs me over. The answer is no, which 99.9% of the time it is, I'll know it's a fake fear. And then I'll just move right through it. So I'm able to discern between what's a real fear and what's a fake fear. Mm -hmm. And 99.9% of them are all fake. We make them up. You know, we use our imagination to envision things happening that we don't want to happen. How crazy is that? So I, I do that. The other thing is it's very heartwarming. My sister, my late sister's husband died a couple of weeks ago, very unexpectedly. Wow. He visited her grave. We buried her on her 50th birthday 
And so he and my brother went to the cemetery. They left uh, an arrangement on her grave and he died three days later, Marla. So it was very sudden. It was very similar to with my sister. My brother just kept saying, I feel like I'm doing, going through deja vu with this 11 years and three days later. How wild is that? And the morning after he died and I could communicate with him, he was on a vent for a few days and, but he died on the day. And then they, you know, they had him on a vent because he was an organ donor. And the day, the morning after he died, I woke up and he and my sister's spirits were sitting on the couch in my bedroom, holding hands and giggling. And so it was just so heartwarming. And we had a wonderful conversation and he told me stuff to tell the family and, you know, like practical stuff. And it's such a, it's such a gift and an honor and a privilege to be able to communicate with them and find out where his safety deposit box, what bank is it in? What are, what are the streets that it's in? And, and, you know, stuff like that. And, and he had companies and he has a house and he's got all my sister's stuff. And, you know, it was like a shrine to my sister. So, so I get information that can help. And it makes me understand that really our loved ones are around us all the time. All we have to do to think of them or all we have to do to communicate with them is think of them because our heads are big satellite dishes that receive and transmit frequencies. Every spirit has its own frequency. It keeps throughout all of its lifetimes. So anybody you want to talk to who's deceased, whether you knew them or not, I want to talk to my sister. I go, Hey, Joan, right. She immediately comes in. If I want to talk to Aristotle or Moses or whomever, I think of them, they immediately come in. It's very similar to, did you watch Bewitched as a kid? Yes. yes. Growing up, you know how Samantha Stevens would yell mother and Endora would come in or (laughs) Dr. Bombay or, or, you know, uncle Arthur. That's how it works. And with the 12 basis of transition, anybody can access this. All you have to say either aloud or in your head is, what phase of transition is my mom or my sister or my, my dog, Mm. you know, dogs go through, they go through a similar thing that the spirit bubble animals. I'll see that on the top of their head. They're not surrounded by angels or their litter puppies, you know, their puppies from their litter mates, but, but with a loved one, who's human, you just say, what phase is granddad in, and you're going to get a number and you'll get phase eight. And then you go to my website or you can download a chart on your phone and then you can access it and you can get a, a uh, visual of what's going on. One quick story about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a family, there is a family here in Birmingham, big Italian family, 10 kids. And one of the sisters-in-law was dying and I had been to see her a couple of weeks before she died and, and she wasn't able to communicate verbally she had had brain cancer, part of her brain had been removed, but I could communicate with her telepathically. So she was very specific. I want to be in this nightgown and robe, kind of like a negligee kind of thing, fancy one. I want to be in my bed just with my husband. When I pass, I don't want anybody else in the room. I only want peach roses at my funeral. She had all these requests. It was pretty funny. Interesting. So the night that she's dying, her final night, her sister-in-law, who's my friend called me and she said, I mean to tell you, 
this family, there are a hundred people in this home. She said, these are loud, emotional people. Everybody's calm. Everybody's reverent. Everybody is praying and they're, you know, they're feeling assured with this because when they walk in the door, we hand them your chart and they can see what's going on with the graphics of how that she's surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones. She said, I, in the 30 years I've been married to my husband, I have never seen this scenario with this family. She said, I'm just calling to tell you how comforting this information is in those graphics are. Right. Wow. And I guess that people, you know, looking at that, there may be some that say it's woo-woo, but the ones that just trust and pray and ask, then they know, then they know it is true. Is, is that what you suggest to people when they want to know, like, specifically, how do I do this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and also, I use the university-based research that corroborates this. Right. Most hospice workers and a lot of families have seen their loved ones reach up at yes. the end of their lives, yes. like they're reaching for a loved one or something. That's very common. It's very common for people to start talking to a deceased loved one who's mm -hmm. in the room. And we think grandma's hallucinating when in actuality, grandma is not hallucinating. Right. Grandma can communicate and see her deceased mother or grandmother or whomever. Furthermore, there's a prayer said at the end of every Catholic funeral called in paradisum. And it talks about how the angels and your loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise. And when I was researching my book, Marla, I, I found out, I learned that it was written in the fifth century as a Gregorian chant. Oh, I love so that. I have to believe that maybe it took till the fifth century till people were well-educated enough that they could read and write. And certainly some of the most well-educated people were men living in monasteries and synagogues who were the record keepers. And again, what I'm seeing absolutely correlates with everything that's talked about in that prayer. I just heard it two weeks ago at my brother-in-law's funeral. And as a chant, you just visualize them all. I, I just visualize them all standing around, maybe holding hands, lighting candles, and just saying that over and over what what a beautiful way to be with a person as they're making that transition mm -hmm. wow it's always said at the end of every catholic funeral yeah and it's ancient so those monks and people since the beginning of time have been seeing all this stuff and i think as we've become more well educated we've become more proof based right and so we want to see proof that this is really happening. And that's why I love that there's research, not only from hospice workers and, and families that have witnessed this with their dying loved ones, but also with university-based research now that has been published by a physician right. who's also a PhD. And I find that, that's, that that gives a lot of people it makes it more believable. Yeah, more. Un unfortunately, that's what we have. We demand in our world. 
maybe not unfortunately, but the way our world has become so materialistic and you look at the Dr. Bruce Grayson's of the world, you know, and, and all these PhD scientists, you know, that's what people want to hear from. And it's out there. It is out there. And matter of fact, I've interviewed many, many of them on my podcast. So if you want science, read Julie's book and also, you know, look at some of the other, some of the inner other interviews. Well, Julie, we need to wrap it up, but um, what would you say if you took a walk with your six-year-old self? Life's magical. We're supposed to have fun and we have loved ones that are around us and guides. And all we have to do is ask for their help. And the information is presented to us. And I think I'm a great example of that because I'm an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world with a communications degree. People say, are you an engineer? No. Are you a doctor? No. Are you a nurse? No. Well, how did you invent this stuff? Well, the information came to me because I was thinking about a problem and how to solve it. And all the answers that we ever want, all we have to do is ask. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're given those answers from spirit. Beautiful. And is, is there anything that you'd like to shout to the world? live a life of joy. Life is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. When you're not having fun, you're out of alignment because spirit is pure love. And when we're in alignment with our spirit, we feel joy. We feel at least neutral. We don't feel badly. So use the two minute rule. If you feel badly, is this going to kill me in the next two minutes? If it is change the conditions, if it isn't, it's fake, move on. Yeah. Wonderful. And Julie has some exciting news about, about your books and sharing those with the listeners. So could you, could you share that information? Certainly, certainly anybody that's listening, if you'd like a free copy of my book, angelic attendance, what really happens as we transition from this life into the next then, or my children's books, here's angel messages for kids. The illustrations are so darling. And here's angel messages for dogs. I don't have a, an angel messages for cats in paperback yet in my possession. It's on the way. Um, but all you have to do is just go to askjulieryan.com and click on the ask Julie button. Say, I heard you on Marla's show and we will send you a free copy if you'd like in a digital or audiobook digital and audiobook download and enjoy. Oh, that is so kind. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. A little early Christmas present. Yes, yes. And if people want to find you, I is it the same information? Yes, yeah. askjulieryan.com. My show is heard. You can download it on any of the podcast platforms. We're on YouTube or on Alexa. I do my show every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. It's a call-in show. It's live. It's a blast. People call in from all over the world and ask a question from my buffet of psychicness, you know, about health or their pet or their love life or whatever. Talk to deceased loved ones. And uh, and it's just a blast. We have so much fun. What, What an earthly angel you are for bringing all of this to the world. Um, just 
Thank you. And thank you for this wonderful interview and so great. And I hope to meet you in person one of these days. <laughs> Me too. I would love that. Thank you for all the work that you do as well. You're very welcome. Well, have a great rest of the day. Stay, stay warm there. I don't know if it's getting cold or not. Does it get cold in Alabama? It does, but not, it doesn't <laughs> stay cold. Like today it's probably in the mid sixties yeah. and it'll go down maybe to the fifties at night. Every once in a while we'll get a forties or something, but then it's 65 or 70 during the day normally. Right. So it's very, it's the weather is very similar to LA weather. Yes. I it or see not. that I'm in Southern Cal right now. And it sounds like that. Well, have a great rest of the day. And once again, thanks so much for coming on the show. My privilege. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.